FTI's Financial Services Podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. Today's guest is Stella Mendez. Stella is a senior managing director and leader of the financial services practice at FTI Consulting. With more than 25 years of diverse banking industry experience, she leads Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering reviews, look-back reviews, risk assessments, and conducts AML investigations for banks, money service businesses, and other financial service providers. In addition, it was really important to me as someone who has a show that's called Finance and Leadership to have someone like Stella Mendes be a guest. Please enjoy. Stella, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to see you. Likewise. So Stella, I am super excited to have you on. When I realized I was going to be a host, I made a quick list of people that I wanted to make sure came on. And naturally, I wanted to wait a little bit. Super excited to have you on. I'm excited as well. So I want to go back to the beginning, because I know one of the things that I find so fascinating when we're sitting around a table and we're introducing ourselves and especially talking to some of our financial services client was where I learned that you started your career banking as a teller. I'm always like, wow, that's really fascinating. So (laughs) tell me, when you think about just what did you learn in those early days that you carry with you to this very day? I started as a part-time teller, actually, at a small Long Island bank. To this day, I can say it was probably one of my favorite jobs. I loved it. You know, at the time that I started, there was no online banking. There were no debit cards. Even direct deposit was a relatively new service for customers. So branch lines were always long, out the door, and people were always kind of, you know, frustrated having to wait so long. And so I think, you know, I learned a lot during that time. I think some of the the skills that I picked up, really working under pressure, being flexible to kind of help out wherever the need was, how to work with customers, particularly when they were unhappy, and that the accuracy in your work was going to make a difference in finishing out the day. And I think those are some of the things, I mean, there are many others, you know, working with, with other colleagues and being a team player and collaborative, all of those things. But I think the ones that I talked about in the beginning are really the ones that are still true today, right? I built my relationships with my customers and became a trusted advisor to to many. um, And that meant something to me. And I think it meant something to them that they could come to me and say, I don't understand what's happening here. Can you help me? And I think it's critical to understand the importance of being a trusted advisor, whether it's to your friends, your family, but particularly your clients. I think that is probably what I learned early in what I've appreciated since then. That's great. And then along the way, you had a number of different roles, including compliance and BSA officer, and eventually you became the president and chief operating officer for First National Bank of New York. As a result, I know that a lot of times when we're talking to our clients, you actually have been in those seats. Like, you know what it's like to have to make critical decisions. You know what it's like when people are saying option A, B, and C, and why they would pick one versus the other. How does that inform how you approach pitching and business development and relationship? 
Yeah, I think for me, it's been really important to have had that perspective. And I always approach my work with that in mind. What would have been important to me as a buyer of consulting services and what actually makes sense for the business? One of my frustrations when I was at the bank, when I would you know, hire someone to help is sometimes they would come back to me with you know, resolutions that were great, but didn't really make sense for my business. And so it was important to me to always think about what makes sense, not just for whatever work you're working on, but also for that type of business. So being thoughtful about it's not a one size fits all. You really have to understand the business needs and what will work for them. So I think having that perspective is helpful. And because I started as a part-time teller and worked my way through, I have seen every aspect of banking. So that also helps because sometimes when you think about a solution at a high level, it's the boots on the ground that sometimes will say, well, that's great, but it doesn't really work. And here's why. So I think having that background and remembering that has been helpful. It also helpful in building relationships because I can say truthfully to someone, hey, I, I understand what you're going through. I've been in your seat. I understand the, how difficult the decision is. And here's how I think about it. And it's always okay if a client says, I've gone a different direction. Here's why. As long as they've made the decision based on full information, you know, that's kind of what I looked for when I was in those seats. And I think it's really important to always think about that. And when you can relate to someone, I think definitely makes the conversation easier. And it makes the work better. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that it makes such a difference, especially when you're able to communicate that level of empathy, because that's really at the heart of what you're talking about, too. Just how do you have that level of empathy? I think that's exactly right. And empathy is not just for the soft stuff, right? It counts even in the big stuff. And, you know, being able to have that when you're talking to a client or even when you're working with a client on a difficult matter, it's important to have that when you're trying to work through a solution. From being in banking all those years, then you came into consulting and, and consulting was a new field when you joined FTI and now you lead the financial services practice. So I feel like you've climbed two you know, very different sectors and very challenging and demanding sectors. Let's be clear about that too. Yeah. What were your thoughts when you made the switch into consulting? And what was your approach also towards just building the financial services practice? Because I joined knowing that it was new and it was fresh and it was exciting. But I'm curious as somebody who had seen the upper echelons in banking to then make that shift. What were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, candidly, I came into consulting thinking this is never going to work for me. This is not the environment <laughs> that I will be successful. And it was someone that worked at FTI that had done work for the institution that I was in that said, you know, just consider it. And it really was just that. I just thought I'll have a conversation. And each time I had a conversation with someone else in the firm, I felt like hmm, maybe there's something here that I would enjoy. And having been in banking for so long, having come from a very structured environment, and having kind of, you know, every department that can do different things for you. And I, and I love that aspect of it because it did make me feel like a part-time teller again, right? You get the benefit of starting from scratch and really put your own perspective into how you do things. I loved banking and I love the structure of banking. When I joined FTI and I worked on my first matter, it turns out I love it. I really love my work. The first matter I did with FTI was a large complex matter. It gave me the opportunity to really dig into the work. And I also learned to interact with the client and often stressful situations, but I was really proud of the work that we delivered at the end and the value that it provided the client. And I felt like I still had banking, but I was now helping someone to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. And, and I really like that. 
As far as the approach to building the practice, wanted to attract people with different backgrounds, different perspectives, but we're like-minded in the sense of wanting to help build something from scratch. You know, have everyone look at it like this is their own business and how do they want to make it successful and creating a collaborative and supportive team. I mean, that's really important to me. I've always been the kind of person that says it's about the people that you work with and about the people that you serve. And if someone on the team is feeling that or isn't the same kind of person, it makes it challenging. We work a lot. We work a lot of hours, a lot of days. You don't have to be best friends with everyone you work with, but there has to be a mutual respect and understanding about where the other person is coming from. So I've always thought about looking for people that have that goal in mind, but also people that have really solid experience whether it's in the institution themselves, whether it's in the regulators, because I always felt like if I'm going to bring value to the client, it's got to be someone that understands what they're going through. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a former banker, but it has to be someone that understands the space because it ultimately provides the clients with a positive experience and also the team. I guess I try to surround myself with people that are really smart and that I like being around. I'll tell you this. I mean, I definitely sense the spirit of collaboration early on when I joined the firm and it was something that I really, really liked and and that drew me in. I also remember a piece of advice that somebody gave me when I said to them, I've made the move from banking to consulting. And they said, Tilsia, you do understand the difference. I'm like, I know they're very different. And I felt that it was so true that in banking, you're so focused on the end result. In consulting, absolutely, you care about the results, but the other part that's really critical is the process. And how are you thinking about the process Who are you inviting along the process with you? Who are you getting buy-in along the way so that there are no surprises? And for me, it's something that I think about every day. Did you find the same thing when you were thinking about banking versus consulting? Yeah, absolutely. My concern was that consulting wasn't going to have that. It was going to be an end game only. And I always enjoyed when I would work on certain things that had, it was about the process and about what you get out of it and about how you bring people along, right? How you give other people opportunity. How do you identify people that would thrive in certain environments? And I found that in consulting for sure. So I agree with you hundred percent. I really love the, not just the end and delivering a product that we're proud of, but how we got there. Sometimes it's challenging work. Oh, I hear you. Excellent. Now, what I also love about the financial services industry and consulting is how dynamic they are. We really truly operate in a dynamic field. I know that I am constantly spending the time, especially in the mornings, to just make sure that I'm staying ahead of what's happening in the news. So I'm going to ask you, Stella, to look into your crystal ball and let's talk a little bit about outlook for the financial services industry and and what should our clients be thinking about? I naturally tend to focus on just the regulatory scrutiny that a lot of people in the financial services are facing, but I'm really curious about hearing your thought. What should people be thinking about and what's the outlook from your perspective? Listen, we could spend all day talking about this. So (laughs) how much time do we have? You know, the financial services industry, they continue to face many challenges and regulatory scrutiny is one that when I started in compliance, oh, AML is the hot topic this year. And then the following year was like, oh, AML is still a hot topic. Guess what? 20 years later, AML is still a hot topic. So the regulatory scrutiny is never going to get less as the markets evolve, as our businesses evolve, as things change. But I think in addition to those things, 
It's the rapid change in technology, sometimes a game changer. You know, the events of the last few years, I think, have had a major impact on how financial services firms conduct their business. Technology was certainly important before the pandemic. And I would have loved to say today, now that the pandemic is over, but who the heck knows? Here we are two years later, still thinking about that. But the truth is, is that it's changed our business forever. The way we do things will never go back to the pre-pandemic days because we've learned a lot. And I think that actually we've seen financial services firms demonstrate their ability to adapt to the new environment, maybe better than anyone previously thought, which is great. But embracing technology doesn't always come without challenges, right? There's an increased risk of data breaches, there's increased risk of cyber crimes. And we know that financial services firms continue to be a prime target for things like that. So thinking about data protection and governance, are more critical than ever. As you continue to see change and increase in the regulation, firms have to continue to focus on being compliant, continue to focus on the fundamentals. There are so many new things coming up that the fundamentals get lost a little bit. So I think those are still really important. And we have to make sure that there are systems and processes are keeping up with the ever-changing regulation and industry standards, but that we're also thinking about recruiting and retaining the right people. Because if you don't have the right people, to do those jobs, it's very difficult to be effective. When you think about all of those things, that there's so many new areas that are out now in our business that we have to think about. It's a mix of how do we focus on the fundamentals, but also incorporate new areas. And focusing on governance and risk management is always going to be important. But continuing to focus on compliance and anti-money laundering, as I mentioned earlier, which include new areas, board governance third-party risk management. That's an area that has become increasingly important, particularly in the new environment of doing so much off-premises. And then they should also include non-traditional areas in addition to the common areas, consumer protection. AML and bank secrecy will continue to be important with the new AML reform coming. You have to figure out how do you strike a balance between maintaining compliance and adopting new requirements. And I think digital assets is another area that is increasingly important in financial services space. I think in 2022, you're likely going to see regulators play a more active role in regulating the digital asset in regulated financial instruments, you know, deposits, future securities, but also in entities you know, banks, broker dealers, money transmission entities. And so that's going to be a little bit of a game changer for the financial services markets. How do we work with digital assets, but also employ proper controls around that to make sure that we're not addressing them in the right way. And then I think climate is a little bit of another issue that, you know, the, the regulators are focused on. They're going to continue to accelerate. We'll see what that means as far as financial institutions, but it certainly will impact the quality of stress test data that we collect and how do we work on information sharing and all of those other things. So there's a lot on the horizon, I think, for financial institutions, financial services firms. What I mentioned is just a few of the ones that kind of I've been really thinking about to make sure that we're being responsive to our clients' needs. And there's so much innovation all happening at the same time. I completely agree with you that I think that these last two years have accelerated the level of innovation that people had to do. If you think about it before, I mean, I know several folks who would have said, there's no way my team can work from home, right? Yeah. And now yeah. they had to, right? And so when you had to, you know, people adjusted. I think that digital assets are completely fascinating. I know we're doing a lot more work in that area. We've done several different pendant reviews for companies who are in that space and also risk assessments. And I think it'll be interesting to see just how they evolve and adjust as the regulators finally 
decide how they want to issue guidelines. You know me well enough to know that I'm excited as can be about <laughs> this intersection also. One thing that I'm curious about, you know, we talk about all these moving parts. How do you approach staying on top of what's happening and what's taking place? I mean, that's a good question. I think it's having conversations with peers in the space, but also, you know, just a lot of reading, a lot of attending webinars and conferences and listening to kind of what the regulars have to say, but also what, you know, other, you know, firms are thinking about. It really is just digesting everything that's out there, getting immersed in what people are thinking about. Anything that comes out new, I, if I'm not at work, I'm always thinking about, oh, I wonder what that's going to do from a risk perspective to the, mm. you know, any institution. I think that you have to be willing to really dig deep into some of these things. I think it's easy to say, like when digital assets came out, there were plenty of people that saying, well, that's never going to work. No bank is ever going to bank them. No one's ever going to do that. You can't do that. You have to really dig in and get to understand kind of what it is that's new and how would it work and how do you, you know, put in controls to mitigate the risks. So I think it's really just, you know, staying in touch with what the market's doing, you know, read what guidelines are being issued by regulators, economists are saying about different things. It's conversations, it's reading, and it's attending conferences and webinars that are speaking on important topics. Well, it's certainly a great time for those of us who are always intellectually curious because there's plenty. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about your leadership style because, you know, the name of the podcast is Finance and Leadership, and I'm always curious about my guest, and how how would you describe your leadership style? And I'm also curious if it has changed over time. You know, this is always a tough question for me, only because I feel like I don't know that I have a specific leadership style. I think I vary it depending on the circumstance. So I like to think that one of the things about my leadership style is that I'm pretty adaptable to whatever environment, you know, is required. But I generally like to lead by example. I guess maybe that's what I really strive towards being a good role model. I never ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do. I don't ever expect people to just do it because I asked them to do it. I think I'm pretty good at quickly recognizing team members' strengths, weaknesses, also ways in which to motivate them. I am motivated by different things that other people might be motivated. So understanding that I think helps be a good leader. And I think providing feedback in order to promote growth is really important. And I think it's it's something that not a lot of people take advantage of. You know, everyone loves to give good feedback, but when you have to give some criticism, it's challenging. But I've learned along the way that feedback sometimes is more important than the positive because then you don't grow if, you, if no one is telling you that this particular thing that you're doing doesn't work. So I think that I am good about that. I'm good about being honest with people. I think it's really important to be supportive and create a positive and motivating environment. I've had great leaders in my career and I try to learn from them. I think it's also fair to say that I've had not so great leaders in my career and maybe I've learned more from them about what not to be, but that's also valuable. So I've changed a little bit over the years and most of it just comes from just experience. When you first start out, you haven't dealt with every type of situation, so you don't always know the best way to handle it. But I try to be the leader that I would want to have in my career and that I have had in my career and learn from my mistakes. I don't always get it right. And when I don't, it's being able to reflect and say, okay, how could you have done that better? I think that's my style maybe is to be open, but also know how to make tough decisions. So I think I'm probably leading by example, being the person that I appreciate in a leader is who I try to be. Oh, that's excellent. You know, as somebody who is as busy as you are, yet still 
you find the time to be active in the community. I know that you are involved with Hofstra Women in Leadership and the Cancer Center for Kids. You also serve as a board member at the Education and Assistance Corporation. Why is that important to you? I thrive on busy. I'm just one of those people, right? Like having a lot of different things to do. The engagement in the community has always been important. I was raised by hardworking parents, you know, raised me to believe that we all have a responsibility to help where we can, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, strangers, this, even the smallest thing can make a huge difference in somebody's life. I was raised that way. I was lucky in my career that I started to work for financial institutions that were very generous to their communities and instilled that as someone who worked there. So I always value the importance of giving back because I was fortunate. The Cancer Center for Kids is something that's near and dear to me. You know, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer when she was 16 and she was treated there. She's 24 and she's doing great. That is the labor of love for me. No matter how much I help other families face with a, a similar event, it'll never be enough. It'll never pay back. Back the, the support that I got when I needed it. So those are the things that kind of drive me. And I, look, I always heard, and I'm sure you've heard too, that you get much more than you ever give. And it seems like maybe cliche, but it's really true. Like you walk away from having helped someone who had a house fire and, you know, you help to get clothes and food and stuff like that. And when you talk to them, you know, and, and see that you were the difference in like a really lousy situation, or you made a difference, there's nothing more rewarding than that. So no matter how busy I get, I always make time for that because I have been the recipient of people doing good deeds for me. And so I think it's important for me to do that for other people. And I think it sets a good example for my kids that life is not all about shiny things. It's about being being good people and being active in the community, there's no better way to be a good citizen than that for me. I know I hear you. And I think especially whatever reason, I keep reflecting back on these past two years and just how rough yeah. it's been on a lot of people. But during the pandemic, I really saw people struggle, losing their jobs, being sick, thinking they weren't going to have food. I mean, it really is just sometimes just even a phone call or even just dropping a, a plate of food over to someone that you know had a really bad day makes a, a huge difference. And, you know, we are fortunate. It's been challenging and not just the pandemic, everything that's happening in the world, right? And we did that as a team, right? During the pandemic, we made sure that we were talking every week and making sure everyone was good and, and checking in. And that matters because you could have talked to someone on a day that they were having a really bad day and your phone call or your email or, you know, your funny meme that you sent out, you know, <laughs> brightened up the day. And I think it's all so important. No, that's true. So one of the things that I'm curious about is I definitely believe leaders are readers. And I'm curious if there's a book or two that you either refer to often, or you give to other people, or that you just go back to Look, I'm an avid reader. I read all the time and, and I read all kinds of books. I don't know that I would say that there's one in particular, maybe other than, you know, smart collaboration is one that I look at a lot from a work perspective, but I read a lot of books about why people decide to do what they do, like what makes, you know, someone work a certain way, um, certain styles, like tipping point is one that I probably refer to often. I have to say Lean In is a book that I, at the time that I read it, was so critical because you don't even realize how you're limiting yourself until you read something and you're like, oh, that sounds exactly like what I've been doing, right? So I think Lean In is probably, if I had to pick one, maybe that's one that's been really important. For me, it's like a mini vacation. That's the way I unwind if I sit back with a good book. And I don't just limit myself to just 
you know, um, business books. It's life lesson books. And sometimes it's just easy, funny stories that I enjoy too. So a mix of things. Oh, I hear you. So Stella, we're coming to the end of our time together here for this podcast episode. Is there anything I have not covered that you would like to share with our listeners? You know, I've been thinking about like, here we are, two women doing a podcast about business. And I think back to when I started in banking, it was very much a male dominated world. I just think about like how far we've come, although not far enough to be candid. But I think that there's no better time for women than now to get into the workforce. And I think if we want to make change, I have a daughter, I have a son, but I always think about this, the context of my daughter, if I want to make a difference, if I want business to be different for women, if I want there to be equity, then I have to be in it to help make a change. And so I encourage women out there that are thinking about, you know, how they want to, maybe they want to change a career, maybe they want to do something different. There's no better time than now to join the financial services space, I think. Just, you know, it's been challenging the last two years and a lot of people have left the workforce, but still think there's a lot to do for women and a lot that we still accomplish. In honor of Women's History Month, that'll be my PSA for you and the group that's listening. No, there you go. And I completely agree. And I think it's also the realization that it may look different for you. I think a lot of people need to just give themselves permission for the fact that, hey, the way I do things may look different from the way everybody else has done it before. Absolutely. You know, I was fortunate this week to be part of a webinar where Michelle Obama spoke and like she said things that I like really resonated. And one of the things that she said is being authentic is being who you are, whether people like it or not. And it's so true, right? Don't go into a place to like become what you think that everybody wants you to be, be who you are. Right. And if they don't like who you are, then that isn't the place for you. And I thought that was great. It seems like such a simple thing, but it really like made me reflect on how far like I've come in my career and how there were many moments in time that I felt like, oh, maybe I shouldn't speak up because, you know, they're going to think that I'm just being bossy or aggressive. And like now in my career, I feel like, well, I think I have something valuable to say. So I'm going to speak up and whoever doesn't like it, doesn't like it. If I'm going to be me, then I have to be me all the time, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, you have to be the same person. And I thought that was great advice that she gave. Excellent. Well, with that, Stella, Thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed our time together. I did too. Thank you so much for inviting me. And, uh, you know, to the listeners out there, uh, hopefully we'll be out of the pandemic and we'll start to see each other's faces very soon. Agreed. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email financeandleadership at fticonsulting.com.